Well, good morning. You know, I'm a big fan of, um, of Paul Simon, the better-known half of the legendary Simon and Garfunkel duel, right? Um, it's not quite as good as our band up here, but he's pretty good over time, right? And um, I'm a big fan of his music. I'm not such a big fan of some of his theology. He was interviewed by Rolling Stone, and he offered his thoughts on, on what God requires of us. And this is what he said. He said, the only thing that God requires from us is to enjoy life and to love. It doesn't matter if you accomplish anything. You don't have to do anything but appreciate that you're alive and love. That's the whole point. Okay, you can pare that long quote I read down to, to a nice little sentence here. Put a pretty picture behind it. You've got a great wallpaper for your computer screen, right? Except... Except that making it look pretty doesn't make it theologically correct. It doesn't make it right. Okay, I do like the emphasis that he puts on love. Right? Jesus might agree that, that love is the whole point. After all, he, he summarized all the law and the commands in two, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus certainly would not agree that the desired end result of that love is for us to simply enjoy life. That's how he started. The only thing God requires from us is to enjoy life and to love. The love that God calls you and me to cultivate in our lives actually accomplishes something. <laughs> something beyond making us feel good. Something beyond giving us an easy life to enjoy. I think that when you and I think of love, when we get talking about that concept of love, our minds immediately default to, to a romantic love or maybe the love that you have for, a, uh, for your family, for your children, your siblings, for your good, good friends. We think of that kind of love that, that warms your hearts and, and that gives us a safe place to rest, that brings us peace and joy and security in life. That's probably what Paul Simon was thinking of too when he's talking about love. But there's another love that Jesus has in mind. The love that Jesus Christ calls you and I to live out in our lives is a profound compassion. That's the right word for it, compassion. It's a profound compassion that sees the brokenness and fallenness in this sinful world all around us and within us. It sees the, this broken world crushing people's lives and crushing people's souls and crushing people's hopes. And that love, Jesus says, that we're called to have moves us to work for the cause of righteousness and justice for others in the world around us. It's very different than just moving us to enjoy life. It's a love that moves us towards sa sacrificial action instead of safety. Right, so contrast the theology of Paul Simon to the theology of a man named Micah, a much less known man who probably couldn't sing a note and I'm certain didn't know how to play the guitar, but maybe who is a little more in tune with the heart of God. The Old Testament prophet Micah says, He's shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, 
and to walk humbly with your God. So Paul Simon was right. God requires love, but it's not a selfish love. It's a love for what is good and what is right that moves us to real actions of justice and mercy. It's a love that is best summarized with the word compassion. And so there's our inside-out core value number three. We started with unity. Last week we looked at honor. Today it's compassion. That's what needs to be growing on the inside and being lived out on the outside. You see, Jesus not only lived that value out on the outside, he specifically taught about it as well. In fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, I find it interesting that, that in all the Gospels, we, we get only one story where we see Jesus preaching, where we see him preaching in a church setting, in the synagogue. And it's here in Luke 4, his very first sermon. This is very early on in Jesus' ministry. He has just walked out of the desert after being tempted by the devil. And, and now he's ready to jump into his ministry. And he starts in his home area of Nazareth, his hometown of Nazareth. And they invite him to come to the synagogue and preach on this Sabbath. And here's his chance to impress all of his friends and all the kids that he grew up with, right? That he's made it. I can remember preaching my first sermon back in my home church in Muskegon. I think, honestly, it's more about making me look good, wanting to impress all the people who saw me growing up. This is his chance to impress everyone. It's not what he's interested in. Instead, he challenges them by giving them the purpose and the mission and the core of his ministry. The heart and the core of what he's going to be all about right here at the very beginning. What we get of his sermon here is very brief. One sentence, actually, and maybe I need to learn something about brevity from, from that. But listen to Jesus starting at verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Just with that passage that he chose, with, with that sentence, Jesus establishes here both the who and the what of his ministry at the very start, right? The who of his ministry, he says, is the poor, it's the prisoners, it's the blind. It's the oppressed. That's who I'm here for. The what of his ministry. He says, I'm here to bring them good news to the poor. I'm here to give sight to the blind. I'm here to bring freedom for the oppressed and for the prisoners. 
That is what love looks like for Jesus. That's the heart of compassion for those who are lost and hurting. A, a heart of compassion that moves us, moves Jesus to serve them in their brokenness and defend them against the injustices that are crushing them. It's his heart of love and compassion that moves him to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with his God. So right at the very start of his ministry, Jesus establishes this purpose that he's going to live out for the next three years. And we get to see him then. He speaks this truth. Then he goes and lives this truth. In the Gospels, we see Jesus challenging the, the systems that deny people justice. Right? His heart of love demanded that he act on their behalf, that he set those rights wrong again, that he set them free. So he goes to Matthew the tax collector, the social outcast who everyone hated and gives him an honored place as a disciple. So he stops when the lepers call to him. He's walking by, the lepers call to him. Everybody else keeps walking. Nobody else will touch them. He stops, he touches them, he heals them. He gives them their place back in society and society that threw them away, that cast them aside. He does the same thing for the blind and the lame. So he stops and he talks with the prostitutes. Who gives them the time of day? Jesus does. So he spends time with the foreigners. He heals their children too. When the rest of the Jews would ignore them. So Jesus walks all the way to a cross. And dies on a cross for unworthy sinners who, who have been broken by sin. And out of this, this deep, deep compassion for those of us who are hurting and broken, Jesus continually gave himself away, gave his very life away for those beaten down by the injustices and the brokennesses of life. Jesus lived a whole new kind of love. It was a foreign thing. Right? The Pharisees, the ones who had it good, the ones who the system worked for, right? the system worked for them. They could not understand what Jesus was doing, what he was teaching. They could not understand this core value of compassion because their core value was not compassion. Their core value was something like obedience or something like rightness, not compassion. They liked to hear sermons about the commandments, right? The ones, the ones that boldly declared what was right and what was wrong. The ones that, that built walls between those who did right and those who did wrong and let them point back over those walls at, at other people in self-righteous judgment. Right? They followed all the religious rules. They, they stayed away from those who didn't follow the rules. They certainly would not hang around with the poor. They certainly would not spend time with the sinners. They certainly would not talk with a prostitute or, or touch a blind person or care about the oppressed foreigner. No. 
Not when your core value is rightness and obedience and purity. They don't want their lives messy. They, maybe you remember, they see Jesus eating with these people. Jesus goes to a party. It's a party that probably you and I wouldn't be seen at either. But Jesus goes to the party and they're, they're appalled at the people that he's hanging out with. And Jesus looks at them and says to them, it's not, the, it's not the healthy who need the doctor. It's the sick. Go and learn what this means, he says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. These Pharisees who are great at following religious ritual following religious rules, their, their understanding of, of, how, of how to love God is to follow his rules. That isn't what God's looking for, though. That's not what God wants to see at the core of who we are. Remember Micah, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly. They were missing, and so often we miss, God's heart of compassion. And so Jesus tries, tries to shake them awake in Matthew 23. He pulls no punches when he's talking to these Pharisees, and he says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law of Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of all your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matter of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Echoes of Micah right there, right? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. They do everything right according to the letter of the law. They even tithe on the produce of their gardens. I haven't seen many of you bringing in carrots, cucumbers, and cabbage and putting in the offering plate 10% of your garden, but they did. That's how right they were. They did everything exactly right. But while they were so intent on being right, they completely forgot to be loving. This core value of compassion was withering away inside of them. They aren't doing any, well, they're so concerned about bringing in 10% of their produce from their garden, they aren't doing anything about feeding the hungry, and they aren't doing anything about helping the poor, and they aren't doing anything about bringing comfort to those who are sick, and they aren't doing anything to help the victims of crimes or, or hurricanes. And they aren't doing anything to ensure affordable housing for everyone. And they aren't doing anything to strengthen fellow believers who are being persecuted for their faith. And they aren't doing anything to provide warmth for those who will be living outside this winter under bridges. And they aren't doing anything to ensure that people with disabilities are empowered and enabled. And they aren't doing anything to end racism or sexism. What about us? Are we? Are you? Because sometimes, honestly, we're just like the Pharisees. We're so intent on being right. 
We so badly want to be right that we totally forget about being loving. You know, I know some of us get scared when church leaders start preaching a social gospel, right? When they start focusing on, on how we're called to serve the world around us and they, and they leave behind you know, the importance of a growing relationship with God. But the truth is we can't ignore either one of those things. It's not an either-or decision. It's a both-and calling from God. Because a mature, Christ-like follower of Jesus Christ, cultivating a true faith within us, will have both a personal relationship with God that is evidenced by social action being lived out. And there is no denying that if we dare to truly listen to Jesus' words. Right? So we heard at the very beginning of his ministry this this call to action, call to compassionate action in Jesus' first sermon. You can see all through the Gospels him living out that compassion to the poor and the oppressed. And he brings that message home again at the very end of his ministry. So he bookends his whole ministry with this calling in Matthew chapter 25. Just before Jesus is arrested, just before he's crucified, he tells his disciples this story. It's one of the last stories he decides to tell them. It's one that challenges them, and I believe challenges us to the very core. I know you've heard it before, but just listen carefully. Maybe hear it for the first time anew. These are the words of Jesus. He says, when the Son of Man comes in glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in prison and go visit you? And the king will will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And he'll answer, Lord, 
when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? You will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Actions of justice driven by compassion. That, my friends, is, is the evidence of faith that the king is looking for. That's the core value of compassion that he so desires to have us growing in our hearts and in our lives. How we treat the hungry and how we treat the thirsty and the naked and the stranger and the sick and the prisoner is how we treat Jesus Christ himself. So God calls us clearly to protect and to seek justice for those who are poor and those who are vulnerable. Because our treatment of the people who are oppressed and strangers and outsiders and otherwise considered marginal in our society is a test of our relationship to God. Remember back to last week? He made all of us in the image of God. All of us carry that honor. All of us are equal in divine dignity and love. And so our proclamation of the lordship of Jesus Christ is at stake in our solidarity with the most vulnerable. And if our gospel, if our good news is not good news to the poor, as Jesus declared his purpose to be in his very first sermon, then it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If action rooted in compassion is what Jesus himself was called to pursue, that's what we're called to pursue. So back to the question. Are we pursuing that? Are we moved to actions of justice driven by compassion for those who are hurting and suffering and oppressed in the world all around us? There's people right here in our own city, not to mention around the world, who don't have enough to eat, who don't have adequate shelter, who don't have access to education, who can't afford to see a doctor and get the medication they need, who will spend time this winter living outside. There are children who are waiting for a family, either a foster family or a forever family. There are special needs adults waiting for group homes to be funded and built so they can have a safe place to call home. And on and on and on we could go. The brokenness of of inequality and injustices all around us. And it's for those people and those causes that Jesus saves us and empowers us and equips us to go in ministry. God's going to ask us when we stand before him one day about our hearts of compassion. Where do they lead you? What do they lead you to do? Our love for God is shown in our love for each other our love for the people around us in, in this world. Core value of compassion means that much to God. So that's why we as a church and we as individuals need to keep on looking for those opportunities to work for justice, to show our love for God by living out our love for each other. 
Sometimes when we cultivate that value of compassion, when we look around at the brokenness, it's overwhelming, isn't it? It can be paralyzing. There is so much brokenness and hurt. How can we fix it all? And because we can't address every injustice, we end up addressing none of them. Well, first of all, know this. God does not expect you or me or us to fix everything. That's his job. It's God's job to fix everything, and someday he will fix everything. That's not your job. That's his job. But God does expect every single one of us and and us together as a church to do what we can. To care for the broken and suffering people that he puts into our lives. To have compassion maybe for that one person that he brought into your life. To make that one sacrifice, that, that one frightening step of faith that will make you uncomfortable but will bring you into contact with somebody for you to to love in Jesus' name. He does expect that our personal relationship with him will have a social expression. He does expect us to do something, something. I remember an old cartoon, and so I found it this past week again. It's a little sobering. The person who drew it decided to make these people turtles. I don't know why they're turtles. But one turtle says to the other, sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, famine, and injustice when he could just do something about it. When the other turtle asks him, well, what's stopping you? He responds, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. You know what? He will. He will ask each one of us that same question. We're going to spend some extended time in prayer. Now, we're going to be praying for the world around us using the the five points from Jesus' inaugural sermon. And as I pray through those points for us and for our world, I invite you to see the people we're praying for in your mind's eye. Imagine the faces. See the people. See their needs. See their hurts. Feel them. Have compassion for them. Let your heart feel a love for them. The same compassion and love that Jesus had for his hurting children and that he invites and asks us now to have. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have given us good news. Good news. And we're so grateful that you did not abandon your broken, sinful world when we rebelled against you, but you set about to redeem and restore it. We are so grateful that you did not abandon each one of us when we rebelled against you, but you came to redeem and restore us. Thank you. Thank you for the good news that you give us and the hope you provide. And we certainly know that this world, this hurting world, desperately needs that hope, desperately needs to hear the good news from us. So even though we prefer to ignore it, Father, Help us to stand face to face with the brokenness and injustice of this world so that we might be bearers of good news to your hurting children in our words and in our actions. 
Lord, help us to be faithful to our calling to bring good news to the poor in your name, not only with words, but with our actions. We pray for the more than 3 billion poor around the world who are living on less than $2.50 a day. And for the more than 1.3 billion living in extreme poverty, less than a dollar and a quarter, less than the price of our cup of coffee this morning. And we can't even comprehend what that would be like. We pray for the 22,000 children who die each day because of this poverty. We pray for the 800 million people who don't have enough food to eat and the 700 million people who don't have access to clean drinking water. We recognize that because of this, there are children who are orphans. There are parents who have had to watch their children slowly die. Lord, wake us up to this tragedy going on in our lifetime and turn our prayers into action. Show us how we can make a difference, how we can bring good news and hope. We pray that in your name, we will stand up to the injustices that hide below the surface of poverty. Injustices such as unjust farming practices, government greed and corruption, unfair trade practices, the abuse of women and girls. We pray for those in urban areas who are living in crowded and unsanitary slums with little or no hope of escaping them. And we thank you for organizations like World Renew who bring your good news of hope and salvation to the world in your name, who give us opportunity to step into that ministry to turn our feelings of compassion into actions of compassion. We pray for those who are caught in the cycle of poverty right here in our own nation, in our own county. Thank you for ministries like Love, Inc. and Access and Family Promise who provide a way out of that cycle for our invitation to partner with them. Thank you for ministries like the Guiding Light Mission, Degazay, Mel Trotter, who daily provide relief to the poor and hungry right here in our own city. So Jesus, cultivate compassion in our hearts. Show us where you want each one of us to bring good news to the poor, to empower an organization, or to reach out in love to, to one person. Help us to carry out your mission in this world, sharing your passion to bring good news to the poor in word and deed. Lord Jesus, help us to be faithful to our calling to bring freedom to prisoners in your name. First of all, don't ever let us forget our brothers and sisters who are being imprisoned unjustly for their faith. We pray for Christian leaders in China, North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Iran, and other places where, where it is life-threatening to be called a Christian, where leaders are thrown in prison regularly. We pray for justice on their behalf. We pray for the 2.3 million people in our country who are behind bars today, many of them justly. And it's easy for us to forget about them, to dismiss them, to consider them unimportant because of what they have done. But don't let us forget the heartbreak behind each one. They are someone's son or daughter, husband or wife, father or mother. And their hearts are breaking. Most importantly, they are your children made in your image. And you have not forgotten about them, and neither should we. We pray for humane treatment for those who are imprisoned. Put an end to torture all around the world. 
We pray that you would bring spiritual freedom within the prison systems. Give them the hope of your forgiveness and grace. We pray that you would reform the unjust parts of our justice system that target people unfairly by race or class. And we thank you, Lord, for ministries within the prisons. Thank you for those here in our own church who reach out to those who are incarcerated through Crossroads Prison Ministries. For ministries like Prison Fellowship and Criminal Justice Chaplaincy and 70 times 7 Life Recovery. Lord Jesus, help us through them and with them to carry on your mission in this world. May we share your passion to bring freedom to those who are imprisoned. Lord Jesus, you spent so much of your life in ministry to the sick. You reached out and touched those whom others wouldn't even think about touching. You invested your power to bring healing to bodies that were ravaged by disease. And yet we're so willing to hide away from our attention those whose bodies and minds are broken. God, give us compassionate hearts of love for those in hospitals who are recovering from illness or injury, who are receiving treatments as they battle disease. Give us compassionate hearts of love for those in nursing homes and long-term care facilities when people are no longer defined as productive in our society. We're so tempted to assign them less value, to give them less attention. You don't. May we love them because they are your children made in your image. Give us compassionate hearts of love for those whose minds and emotions will always be limited. Thank you for ministries like Harbor House and Georgetown Harmony Homes. We pray for strength and endurance and joy for the parents and family members of those who provide loving care for a lifetime. Lord Jesus, we look around the world and we see diseases that are claiming lives when we have the resources to stop them. Thank you for the progress made in wiping out diseases like malaria, and we pray that that progress would continue. We pray that the medicines and vaccines that we take so for granted will make their way all around the world. Jesus, help us to carry on your mission in this world. May we share your passion for recovery of sight for the blind and healing to the sick in your name so that they might see you as their hope in this world and for eternity. Lord Jesus, in your grace, you consistently reach out to the least of these, for those who are oppressed by other people or by systems that are unjust. And so we pray for peace in areas of the world that are torn apart by war. Protect the, and comfort the families and children who are caught up in violence and injustice in Afghanistan and Syria. We pray for those who are still suffering today as slaves. We like to imagine that slavery is a thing of the past. But remind us again that there are people all throughout the world being bought and sold as a commodity. Set them free, Jesus. We pray for young girls throughout the world who are being kidnapped and forced into prostitution. Set them free from the horror of sex slavery, both far away and right here in our own county and city. We pray for respect for those who are suppressed by racism and ethnic hatred. We pray for racism running rampant in our own country. Forgive us for turning a blind eye to this atrocity. And we pray for those who are oppressed by sexism, for the women and girls who are robbed of their freedoms and forced to marry, who are denied basic education and freedoms, who are demeaned and disrespected because of their gender. 
And Lord, we pray for the farmers and the factory workers all around the world who are exploited so that we can have cheap products. In the name of our gain, their freedom is being lost. Their hope for the future is being denied. Please show us how we are being oppressors in our purchasing. Jesus, you came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Your great desire is to restore this creation, this world, to the way it was created to be, to undo the brokenness of sin, to restore the beauty and the graciousness and the wholeness and the shalom that you intended when you first spoke this world into being. Lord, make us proclaimers of that favor. Give us a passion for your kingdom to come, and not just your heavenly kingdom sometime in the future, but your kingdom right here, right now in this world. Give us a passion for your will to be done through us. As your followers, let our voices be heard, rooted in compassion. Give us the courage to sound a clear call for justice for the poor and the prisoners and the blind and the oppressed in your name to our leaders. And don't let our voices stop proclaiming the year of your favor until our leaders consistently stand for justice rooted in godly compassion and love, both within our nation and all around the world. And we ask that you would start with each one of us. Grow compassion within us. And so we join with believers throughout the generation sharing this humble prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me be your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? It's time to go and find out how God wants us to live out this compassion. My guess is God is going to show you an opportunity. It might be a person that he brings into your life. It might be a ministry that he lays on your heart to say, I want you there. I don't know where it's going to be. But he's going to give you opportunity this week to live that compassion out in your life. And I pray that each one of us has the courage to take that step of faith. Just a couple of quick reminders uh, before we get the final blessing as we go. Don't forget that life group signups are going on this month. So you have this week and next week. So be praying about your participation in a small group, in a life group. We'd love to have you sign up today or next Sunday. And the church picnic is next Sunday evening. So make sure you sign up very soon. There's sign-ups for both in the back. So if you don't want to sign up online, you can do it on paper. See, see Andy at the, at the welcome cart. But now as we go to grow this heart of compassion, I want you to receive 
this Franciscan fourfold blessing from God. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Amen. Go in peace.